This presentation is from Design Research 2021, day four. Thanks, Dave. My name is Scott Burns, also known as Burns. And on the other line, Pat, you want to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Petra Gulisha, uh, tech enthusiast and solutions architect with the ABC, and uh, teammate to Scott Burns in the world of UGC at ABC. Great. So um, before we dive right in, um, just want to um, uh, make a, a short statement. It's in that in the spirit of reconciliation, uh, the ABC would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the country throughout Australia and their connection to land, sea and community. We pay our, we pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. So. Today, we're going to tell a story. We're going to tell a story about UGC, the ABC, and that story is in five parts. We'll go prologue, set the scene, set the uh, context for everything. Uh, we've got a few chapters to walk through, which uh, hopefully make the, the whole journey, which was quite big, but a bit more digestible and within the time frame that we have together. Uh, and then we're a bit of an epilogue just to kind of, you know, encapsulate everything and maybe some, some packages that you guys can take off to and apply to your own worlds and challenges and, and context. But first, context, sweet context. So uh, we're going to talk about what UGC means, um, especially within the context of the ABC as the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. For those international folks dialing in, uh, this is the publicly funded uh, national broadcaster. Similar, same, as the, same as the BBC, if you ever want a comparison. Um, so UGC means so many different things, um, let alone how it means across the world and all our different applications, but how, it, how it's referred to within the ABC has many different words. Um, and ultimately, though, the, the, the point is of all of it is that we want to be able to create a channel where we can collaborate with the Australian public. After all, um, one of the greatest benefits of UGC is it has the ability to really provide an opportunity for their, for the peoples of Australia, their stories, their content, um, to be more engaging, um, and also to reflect uh, more accurately their, their, their interests, their political issues, social issues. Um, and so it, it is a really great, kind of, in terms of the, the, the purpose of why it's there, it's a really great tool to, to call upon. Now, what, how, how does that work now? So, Right now, here's some examples of, of the context of um, the current UGC. So with ABC My Photo, which is essentially the best of the best photographs being um, spread across Instagram. It's all about Australia and celebrating Australia. Um, we've also got Q&A, which is basically the premise of the entire weekly program is to source questions from the Australian people and be able to more democratically put the people, the decision makers, politicians to account to those, um, for those people. Um, but also uh, more engagement things. So uh, UGC is very much focused for, for children as well as, as an engagement tool. And we've got here, you know, old people's home uh, for four-year-olds. This was the 2020 COVID version where obviously we couldn't do the typical show where the, you know, the children can go into the nursing homes. Um, and then last one, we've got the probably the more modern ones, which is about um, COVID, but also uh, ABC News has had the ability to, um, actually procure and actually get questions from people to understand what people are thinking about in real time um, and, and essentially be much more of a head of the curve um, around what are the issues and the things we need to be doing for COVID. But 
we also need to acknowledge that, that it isn't a new thing for the ABC. It has such deep roots in user-generated content. I mean, I think we all we all thought that we all made the assumption that Radio Talkback was the first UGC. Uh, but in actual fact, um, before Radio Talkback was even legalized, because it was illegal at first, um, before that, you know, and then it, before, by the time it became legal in the 60s, before that, um, there was the uh, Keith Glover's listener's mailbag, right? So they would send letters in to this radio show, they would filter through that, and then they would obviously program and curate their radio show accordingly. All the way up until, you know, early 2000s, where, um, you know, I've been able to get Australian snapshots. So this is, this is one snapshot of that digital experience, you know. Um, this was where uh, one of my colleagues, who's still at the ABC, Ray Allen, um, up in Brisbane, a great guy, and he was involved in this project, um, and really, it was it was 150 disposable cameras set across rural Australia, and then sent back um, in, back to Brisbane, and then being out of processed, archived, and put onto a digital platform. Very labour intensive, as you can see in the first two. But obviously, with technology, we've been able to make this a lot easier. Coming to that last one about crowdsource investigations, um, this was obviously a huge expose done by the ABC, uh, and which ultimately led to a royal commission into aged care. Um, and so we're seeing some hugely impactful societal um, issues being exposed and then therefore addressed. Um, so that the impact of this is huge, but then what we need to be really kind of remembering about the ABC is why does this happen at all? Um, and that is part of the ABC charter. Um, now, a charter may not be a normal thing that we all encounter in our everyday lives and our everyday organisations, but there's one line in this charter saying that the ABC will reflect the cultural diversity of the Australian community. Now, that's important, and it's not just words, it's actually a legally binding framework that we, we need to be um, basically working towards, right? Um, and so you think of a charter like a, an official vision or a mission that your average organization might have, only this one is federal law. Um, and so it, it creates a bedrock for what, what really guides us and what we wanna do. So for us, and more Petra and I, um, it was never really as an organization was like, why should we do UGC? The, the, the why was always clear. Um, it's the how that's the challenge. And that's what we're gonna talk about today which hopefully will be a lot more applicable to everybody else's position or maybe um, maybe their type of coincidence or use case for UGC. So the first disclaimer we want to make is that Petch and I, we are not journalists, right? I, I myself, uh, my title is Senior Product Manager. Um, my history is being with, as a designer, as a product designer. Um, and then uh, similar to Petch, Petch is a Solutions Architect. Uh, and then, you know, a, a developer, a front-end dev, uh, a full-stack dev um, in the previous. So we've kind of adopted these new roles, but ultimately uh, the vast majority of the ABC are content makers, right? So that is the, we, we are definitely, in, in, in technology sense, we're the minority in the full context of the organization, but that should not stop us from trying to ladder up to what our purpose is within digital products. So we are part of a team called ABC Digital Products. Uh, and this is a, a direct screenshot of our strategy from 2020. It's in that, that our purpose, our why, uh, is to enable ABC's transition from a traditional broadcaster to the nation's most trusted and valued digital media organization. So the ABC, we all know, has a huge legacy to it. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's quite an old, it's, it's coming up to its 90th birthday at the end of this year, which I'm sure we'll all hear all, all about. And trust me, from a UGC point of view, we are getting slammed. 
Um, but what we need to be acknowledging is that um, there is a big, big dramatic transition occurring within the organization uh, and that we are on this as digital product. We are on the, the kind of the spear point of that. So the first chapter to this is really talking about how we need to be understanding each other. Um, I think it's really, really easy for people in technology, for people within design to really kind of jump to conclusions as to be like, oh, you know, okay, cool, this is what it is. But within an organization like the ABC who has such a rich history, we can't just kind of jump to what we believe the right way to go is. Um, there's been a, a long legacy of doing that at the ABC and we want to avoid that from happening. Um, and the first step is really to understand each other. Now, this is our attempt at being able to articulate that through visuals. So whilst we can say we're doing this transition, the reality of it is actually very difficult to navigate. Um, and this traditional broadcast mentality on the left-hand side, um, there's always been this natural tension between content and products, the technology that is there to deliver that content. Um, and, you know, in a broadcast mindset, it's been, it's been very straightforward. It's been rather pass the work over uh, mentality. But when we go to a digital media organization, um, that, that relationship is nowhere near as binary or as simple or as linear. Um, and there often isn't the time to understand and navigate how we're going to do that together. We just got to get in, get in the car and start driving and we'll figure it out as we go along. Um, and so this idea of co-piloting was something that we really acknowledged as, well, first of all, Petch and I, we, we haven't always been at the ABC, so we came in there with fresh eyes. Um, and we were able to acknowledge that through our experiences from other organizations and other technology ways of working, that this was kind of the biggest challenge to what we were facing in that moment. And I'll pass over to Petch to talk a bit about how the times are changing. Thanks, Fancy. Thanks, Sarah. Most of us know that leaving comments on the internet is not a new thing. It's not a new technology, but in the, the time that we've been doing it, the goalposts have really moved in terms of our responsibilities and our obligations around protecting uh, privacy, trust and security when we're talking about data exchanges with, with audiences. Now, in particular, our understanding of the type of data that we're handling has changed. We understand that all sensitive data is, is not alike. For example, there's a big difference between knowing someone's year of birth and knowing their whole birth year. So we have data that sort of represents different levels of sensitivity. Uh, likewise, sort of, it, it's possible that you don't need to collect someone's full name uh, or even their real name when and simply a display name would do. And if that means that your data is no longer personally identifiable, you're winning. Uh, and finally, when, when handling children's data uh, and under 16s, uh, it's really essential that we handle parental consent. Likewise, with our entire audience, managing that consent is key to keeping everyone safe and to establishing trust with our audiences. So at the ABC, we're always ensuring we collect as little as possible. And I've also made sure that we develop really comprehensive policies and processes to ensure the privacy of the whole audience, no matter who they are. But of course, it's not just enough to do the right thing. You have to tell audiences about it. Uh, the ABC operates on the principle of informed consent sort of having done the work to make complicated legal requirements as transparent to audience as possible. 
Uh, the aspiration is to, to make sure that users are fully aware of what they're agreeing to if they ever provide data to the ABC and can be safe in the knowledge that we're going to keep it, uh, keep it secure. And of course, this only works if the ABC is aligned as a whole organisation around the importance of maintaining security. And so that means that we see digital teams cooperating with content, with legal, with security, to make sure that we have a really complete picture of the, the movement and security of, of data, of our user data, as it moves around the organisation. Uh, and this really ultimately gives us uh, feasibility uh, to the work that we do. Uh, but on the next slide, we'll have a look at, uh, at what happens when, when things go wrong. Uh, unfortunately, the reality is that data breaches can and do happen. So it's really critical that we're focused on preventing and minimizing them uh, to, to remain viable in a day-to-day -day work. Now, here's, a, here's some statistics from uh, last year, from 2020. There were just over 1,000 data breaches reported to the Office of the Australian Information Commission, which is the, the governing body. 38% uh, of those breaches were caused by human error. A small percentage, 5%, were caused by computer error, which to be fair is really just another type of human error. And lastly, the majority of, uh, of breaches were caused by malicious attacks. But now we have to keep into, um, we have to take into account that these malicious attacks are usually driven by phishing and social engineering schemes that ultimately result in a, in a human being the, the, uh, the source of the breach. So it's, it's sort of increasingly important that we're mindful that data security is not just about having the right technical controls in place, but it's also about understanding people, how they access data and why they do the things that we do. We need to work together sort of within technology, we need to look at our, our technical platforms, but also the entire user journey to, to make sure that our systems are watertight. And, uh, and speaking about the overall journey. More, like if we go, sorry, sorry, Fed. Uh, if, if there's like another point to elaborate on there is the fact that like if we go back to that car analogy where we need a co-pilot, um, especially around security and, and these, these data breach topic, you know, like we, we there's, the, the issue of accountability doesn't always just rest on the technology team anymore. It is about everybody taking accountability around how they're doing that because the vast majority of the weaknesses here is a human error or is a human flaws. And that means it's everybody's, everybody's topic to think about not just the, the, the one department that has the name IT security on it. Now, what we want to talk about next, which is a really important part of the understanding, is around the UX and how UGC is practiced at the ABC. Now, we understood that by talking to a lot of people, um, you know, I think there's, there's upwards of 15 or so teams across the ABC who are conducting some form of user-generated content content program. Um, and we needed to understand all of them because we need to understand that any one of those can be a vulnerability for the ABC. So we did this, we put this into a journey which essentially became one archetype um, for, for how UGC is conducted. And then we we're able to speak to all the, to, to the different teams and we, we picked out some at least six here that were the, kind of the biggest players in this space um, and then understood and Matt, what's their experience like, both for themselves as, as a team conducting and, and doing this work, uh, but also what they believe the audience experience or the user experience is as well. Um, and 
we were able to kind of chart and understand what is their emotional kind of range around what each of these stages um, and how they perform. Um, and really, um, if I was to put this in a nutshell, we, we kind of dis we've discovered that there was this really clear fence between um, the, the first half and the second half of this whole experience. Um, and if I wanted to try and encapsulate what are the problems here that we, we, we set out to solve, uh, I'm going to say that in GIF. So at the first, like we really need to acknowledge that the ABC does not have a problem with getting data. It is, it is such a trusted brand that no matter what it does, people are really, really forthcoming with their information. So it was never about how do we get the quantity, it's around how do we, how do we harness the quality. Um, and then the, the second half of the experience was that we were using very traditional ways of collaborating, um, you know, and very, very te techniques that were just basic towards and very much a, a broadcast mindset rather than a, a modern digital um, organization. Um, and so, you know, naturally what that created confusion and frustration. And there, there was something that we could, there's a lot of problems here that we could be solving. And then ultimately it, the, the, for all of this that was happening, the, the people that were suffering the most were the, were the users. Um, you know, they were, they were basically left on set, you know, when you send a message and you just see that somebody sent it, but they didn't say thank you or, or you know, like I really appreciate that or, or following up in any way at all. It just kind of felt like the people that wanted to collaborate with the ABC the most were the ones that were kind of left hanging a little bit. Um, and I wanted to just kind of really hit this home a little bit more and, and make it into a more of a human lens, but also uh, more of a business numbers lens in the fact that we spoke to somebody who was actually, um, you know, really, really enjoyable to watch, uh, to, to talk to. It was a, it was a mother of, a, of, a, of a, a boy with special needs. And she, she talked about how, um, as a person, he got really invested as a viewer. He thinks he became part of the family, the ABC family, because he could do these things. And this had a huge impact on his well-being, on his ability to, to basically, um, you know, conduct himself in a day-to-day -day life. And, 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 but where we started to let it down was that whilst we started that relationship, we didn't actually kind of follow up with it at all. We didn't really kind of leverage that ability uh, or that, that function where he could actually enjoy things. And then, Kind of left them hanging like i mentioned right and and all the mum really wanted was a bit more open communication around what was going on because she needed that in order to communicate with her son now it's an edge case but it's an extreme case and we like to design to the extremes because if if she's experiencing that then everybody's experiencing that to some degree um and then from a numbers point of view in 2020 you know the abc as an organization as a national broadcaster receives roughly a little under 100,000 requests for help, you know, and that's usually connecting a smart TV or logging into the news app and things like that. Um, and these are all logged and, and, and there is a 100% success rate, a response rate um, in getting a response within 30 days. That is, you know, that is the policy, that is, that is the way ABC is run. But when you look at UGC, we, we received roughly, roughly in 2020 an estimated 338,000 submissions or, or collaborative contributions from the Australian public. Um, but when you look at how we've responded to those people, we've estimated that about 52,000 of those are responded to at all. And that's a 15.5% response rate. So we're really looking after the people that are frustrated, but the people that are actually engaged with us that really want to help and really want to contribute, we're leaving them kind of hanging, right? So that's a, that's a really big missed opportunity that we see. And some, that's something that's already been solved. So ultimately, at the end of the day, we, we went back to the business and we said, we can do better than this. Like we, we, we should be doing better than this. 
And which leads us to our next chapter, which is the, instead of the aha moment, it was a bit of a oh, oh no moment. Um, because whilst, I mean, maybe we can all relate to this, but especially within the, the world of UX, um, you are going out and conducting research and you're often coming back with not so good news. Um, and we have to deliver that news. Um, and a lot of the times it's not what the business wants to hear. They want to, you know, pats on the back and saying, you know, good job, everybody. But we wanted to say that, you know, we were delivering that message or their sentence that we can do better. Like, and it's a little bit of like, you know, hanging your dirty, dirty laundry out, but that's something we've got to kind of confront. And it actually becomes a really good motivator. You can begin to frame your problem in a way that becomes actionable to solve rather than just throw your hands up and say, this is not, this is useless. And this is, this is not something we can do. And so that's what we did. Naturally, we were tasked to say, okay, well, what's the solution here? What's the UGC solution? Um, and we needed to explain that it's not so much about thinking about what's a UGC solution because the ABC by its virtual nature and its purpose does UGC in a very different way. Um, and so we don't need to be looking for a UGC solution. We need to be looking for a relationship solution. Um, and that meant that we needed to shift the conversation being around, let's just focus on the problem at the surface, but we need to focus on the problem at, at the core underneath, you know, classic iceberg. And so how we're rethinking UGC is we're rethinking our relationship with our users, with the data that that UGC is collecting and that we're analyzing, but more importantly, with ourselves, like how are we working together in a cross-disciplinary way in order to make this a success? Because again, identified as a key problem that we needed to solve. Um, but all in all, we wanted to do this because we want to be able to go beyond what the Australian community expects of its national, nation's broadcaster. You know, it, it doesn't expect to be left on scent. It expects to have acknowledgement and to be, you know, be, feeling like people are contributing to the democratic purposes and the, and the ways in which the ABC and the, the charter that it ultimately is accountable towards. And it's all, to us, very achievable too. It, it, it's very viable and feasible to be able to, to raise the bar and to, to maintain these expectations. So where we started was, you know, thinking differently. So we drew insight from those that have overcome a parallel challenge. We didn't go out to market and say, we didn't Google UGC solutions or UGC tools, please. Um, we went out and we thought differently about how we needed to approach this. And it doesn't mean you need to start from a blank slate as well. Right, this is where you can really build on the shoulders of giants here. And what we ended up doing was we're building upon those ideas of others. We kind of took a, a, a two-prong approach. So rather than finding that one thing that does solve all of our problems, we have on one side Stackler, who's, who's been a, a really great partner in terms of visual UGC, so something that's highly powered through social media. Um, and then we've been working with Zendesk um, as a customer support tool. Now, this is where it got really interesting was because everybody we spoke to at the ABC was just like, what, Zend like Zendesk, really? Like, you know that thing that I need to, like, if something's broken, I need to go and find out how to use it. But the best thing about this tool is the fact that at, when people are at their most frustrated, it is a tool that is there and it gets things done, right? Now, what we want to shift is that we're not going to be encountering people when they're most frustrated. We're going to be encountering people when they're the most pleasant, when they're engaged and they're forthcoming. So let's, let's design a tool and a system that does that. So it really easily became a parallel well to us because when you look at, you know, the about page on the, on the Zendesk website, they focus on relationships 
and they focus on being able to root themselves in communities. Exactly what it is that we're trying to do as well as an ABC or as, as an organization. But that's all theory. Let's talk about how it actually happened. So we obviously went through a process of, of trialing and, and, and we can talk about that in a minute, but we want to just kind of really show you what the results were and what we found out quite quickly. So back in May of this year, uh, Requestable happened for Triple J. Uh, this was five days where the entire week's worth of radio was programmed by the Australian public, by the listeners of Triple J. And that was all facilitated through the, to, through the app, but ultimately, altogether, they got 79,000 requests from 49,000 people. So we needed a system to manage all of that data in order to get to the end outcome of programming a week's worth of radio. So firstly, we went to where the users are. We went product-led. You know, we, we made sure that we were going to where they were. Um, and then we made sure that we were making that the, the relationship with the data and ourselves really, really easy. So on the top here is that, you know, a screenshot from Zendesk itself. It has um, the ability to, you know, work across different teams. We have breakfast, mornings, lunch and drive there. Um, and then we've also got um, the visualization too. So this is explore down the bottom. Uh, and this is where we could get real time um, analytics and data visualizations of the requests coming in, of who, the, who, who was saying them, being able to you know, segment by range, and really we can slice and dice it however we like from that point onwards. Um, and then ultimately that led to us, all of us kind of going beyond a lot more, right? So um, Max Quinn here, who's a product manager for the Triple J app, who's really the kind of the leader of this whole thing, um, he was saying that um, the Zendesk and the whole, the whole platform that we used became a platform that enabled product, the station, and the campaign to work in harmony. So we've got broadcast there, we've got digital product, and we've got marketing all working under the same roof by the same, under the, by the same music. And it was, it was really, really nice to know that that's how it turned out. And... This is expanding, right? So these are the things that are live at the moment. We've got Corona questions and Corona cast that receive, you know, roughly about a thousand questions a day uh, around the issues around, around coronavirus. We've got um, Q&A who, who have been able to, you know, channel all of their, both, um, both their word questions, like their, their text questions, but also video questions to facilitate that because audience, in-studio in audiences is really difficult. We've got, um, you know, important investigations uh, and also this ability and these initiatives across the organization to include um, diversity and inclusion into the, into the ways in which they're programming, structuring the content that they're creating. And we've been able to enable this through the, I guess, the, the first port of call, which is these call-outs and these, these types of UGC channels that we're setting up. So to kind of change gears a bit, um, it's cool to say, sweet, that's what's happening um, and that's what we've done. But again, like we said, how did this happen? Um, and whilst we can kind of say the theory about what you should be doing, I thought we wanted to give you an insight into how we walked this talk and the, the kind of the, the bruises and, and scratches we, we learned along the way as well. Um, so I'm gonna pass over to Petch to talk a little bit more about privacy and security and, and what you can do about that. Thanks. Yeah, like, like you've just explained, we, we know now that these data sets represent such opportunity uh, and, and such value that it's it's a no-brainer that, that we protect them. But uh, but what, what this whole exercise has shown me is that we, we've got a pitch from 
um, understanding purely the protection of our data, but also understanding access and, and life cycle. So, it, you know, I'd like each of us to think in our everyday lives. Now, what are the systems that you have access to as part of your job? What kind of data do they contain? Should you have access? Uh, what, what's sitting in spreadsheets on your desktop right now? And, and gaining an understanding of how the landscape is changing. The Australian privacy principles have been developing over the past several years and, and still are, are the most accessible entry point to understanding both the risks and the things that we can do to improve our posture when it comes to data privacy and security. Because ultimately, when it, when it comes down to it, when you're confident about your data privacy and security, you can just let the technology get out of the way, get on with your job and start to experiment. Uh, one, one way that we, we can get to this endpoint is by talking to our legal teams. Uh, organisationally, pri data privacy represents a potential financial risk. So it's inevitable that we're going to be talking about legal obligations when it comes to the way that we handle user data. The first time you go and talk to your legal team and ask them, what are my obligations when it comes to handling audience data? they're probably going to fire back immediately with a bunch of questions for you to go and think about. Questions like, who are the users that are providing this data? Uh, what's the data going to be used for? How will you access the data? And who else will access the data? And eventually, when do you plan to delete that data? When are you going to be ending that relationship with the data uh, so that we don't continue to sort of build archives and essentially build risk when it comes to data privacy security? We need to plan for our deletion sort of well before we start to collect our data. I'll, uh, I'll pass back to Bernsey now to, uh, to uh, carry on with us. Uh, uh, Tell us more about our parallel worlds. Thanks, Patch. Um, and and so with about parallel worlds, um, some of you may have used that before. I mean, uh, there's been many kind of workshop techniques and activities around analogous thinking and uh, being able to essentially just kind of take a, a, a one environment, apply it to another, and see what comes from that. You know, it's, it's a way of thinking laterally. Um, but I, I think where what we did and and where we thought let's just take it from a workshop and activity and actually let's apply it. You know, let's really, you know, kind of walk the talk here around the power and what that, what that thinking could do. Um, and that's, I guess, a challenge that I think we, we would like cast out to everybody here is like, how might you do this? Um, but definitely what we realized was that um, there's a, a really big, a possibility that you're going to be faced with this. I mean, in everything that we do that's a creative or an innovative way of approaching a problem, um, there will naturally be a business behind that that is mitigating risk and that is just looking going like, nah, we're not doing that. Um, naturally, because, you know, when you, when you start to propose solutions that aren't inside the same box or the same label that you'd always expect, you know, that is a natural... Um, behavior for people to be anxious, to be confused, to be worried, and just kind of normally just flat out reject things because they just don't want to be worth the, worth the effort. And now um, we definitely got this. You know, I think um, Petra and I, with our insight into the understanding the problem and understanding the possible solutions, I think we found that this was a great avenue to go down, you know, within a week, you know, we're doing our own little tests and things like that. But then we spent the next four to five months really encouraging and coaching people into understanding the vision that we saw. And, and that really was because of the fact that 
um, naturally, um, especially across different disciplines, there is always going to be a gap of assumed knowledge. Um, and, and that's what we, what we found out was that people in product and technology, that's us, um, and then people in the new staff, so these are the content uh, creators and people that are ultimately, you know, at the, the people on the tools here getting the work done, um, that they really found that there was a really significant gap around what we were talking about. And I think what we, what we can take away from this is that when you're going through your process, there are always things that are in your sphere of influence, right? There is no situation that you can't be able to bend and flex to, towards the context in which you need to be working in. Um, and for what the things that we learn, or at least this is, the, this is the way it's been framed back to us after we do retrospectives, after we really have honest conversations with the people that we partner with, the first thing that we want to say is words really matter. They are so loaded with, especially when you work with journalists. Um, and it's really important that you craft your language and you consider and, you, and you're willing to, to change and adopt jargon and, and technicalities and, you know, put aside what you learned in school and actually go, okay, well, this is the real world and this is how the people I'm trying to work with, this is how they think. So I need, I need, to, work, I need to flex to them, not them to me. Never assume knowledge. Right, so this is why we have such great frameworks like hypothesis-driven design. You know that is all that is exactly meant to be um, set out so that you can relieve any any situation of ambiguity, uh, and you can be very clear with what it is that you're intending to do and how you're intending to learn it. And the next one, and this was the hardest one that I personally had to deal with, was that timing is everything. Now, both long timing, short timing, whatever you want to frame it as. Everybody else that works outside of technology has a different mindset as to the pace and cadence things need to go to. You know, we worked with journalists who, who, who work, you know, by, by the beat of the news, right? And that is a daily change, right? They, are, they do not like to hear two, three, four-month horizons. They like to hear week horizons where they need to get things done. But in the contrast, you, you probably may even realize that there are other situations like in the medical space where it's like, well, you know, okay, we need to, we're going to do a roadmap here of 18 months, right? That's, it's a whole other different thing. So you need to be able to adapt and, and think about the timing that you need to go through. And then ultimately, the biggest, the biggest asset you have in, in the biggest, you know, arrow in your, in your quiver is to say, let's make something together. That is the best way to actually overcome any type of, any gap in knowledge, any to reach a shared understanding. Let's actually apply this to something real and let's let's do it together. I don't want to go into my ivory tower and go, okay, well, let's make this up and do a big ta-da moment. No, peel back the curtain, lift the hood and show them what it's all about. Show them how the sausage is made and then you begin to get and spark curiosity in the people that otherwise would never be exposed to this process as well. And that's where we have such a fantastic opportunity with this virtual way that we're doing it now. Like for us to be able to share screen, turn on a video and just be exposed with how we're doing that through a creative workspace. Like it's the norm now, like this is the way that we're doing it. So um, there's actually been no more excuses, even though you might feel, oh, we want to get in a room together. Well, a virtual room can do just the right thing. Um, it just takes a little bit more um, different skill sets to in order to understand and how to, how to navigate those, um, those gaps in knowledge and things like that. So, to hit us home, the morals of the story here that I think we'd just love to be out there. And this is the screenshot worthy moments if you wanna take them, but of course we get them, we get them later, um, was that at the end of the day, you need to prepare, up, prepare yourself with, with security, data and privacy. This is everybody's 
problem. This is everybody's issue. This is everybody's concern. And as designers, as technologists, um, we really uh, look to as the experts in this space. Uh, and so be the expert and, and learn about it. Um, build upon other parallel worlds. So look towards other, how other people have, have solved the challenge that you're facing. Um, you don't need to start from scratch. So don't, don't believe you need to, especially at scale, like what we've done. And the last one is to create a space to understand each other. Right? When we understand each other, we work better together. It, 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 it really is that simple. But it's up to us as designers and technologists to create that space. It doesn't happen by accident. It has to be intentional and you have to be doing it uh, with empathy and and like I said, words matter, never assume knowledge, and timing is everything. So we're going to stop it there. Thank you very much for your time. We've got, um, we went through that 35 minutes, so we've got five minutes um, for maybe some, some questions or if anybody, I know Steve, you just chimed on. Um, but also there are, you know, that contact details are there if anybody would like to get in touch with us. Um, we are, you know, we're kind of expanding our team as well. So if anybody's keen on knowing more about how we are kind of doing more in this UGC space, then please feel free to hit us up.